It's time for Nordic on Tap. Welcome to our podcast featuring interviews, music, folk tales, and lots of hygge, all with a Nordic flavor. I'm your host, Eric Stavney. Open air museums. It seems like a strange concept. Why would you put exhibits out in the weather? Well, an open air museum is a collection of buildings and artifacts outside, sometimes called a folk museum. Now, these museums are often also living history museums, where interpreters wearing period costumes go about their daily household tasks or crafts like blacksmithing, cooking on an open hearth, making butter, making candles, spinning wool, things like that. The idea of open-air museums originated in Scandinavia in the late 1800s, beginning in Norway in 1881. King Oscar II had four historic farm buildings from the country taken apart and rebuilt in Oslo. King Oscar II had four historic farm buildings from the country taken apart and rebuilt in Oslo. And the stave church from Gull, at least part of it, was taken apart and rebuilt, and all of this was available for public viewing. And in so doing, this formed the world's first open-air museum. But it was probably an open-air museum called Skansen in Stockholm, where farm buildings from across Sweden were taken down and rebuilt in the city, with people in period costumes, live animals, folk music, demonstrations, folk crafts, that inspired and led to the acquisition of more land near King Oscar's buildings on Big Dei, and subsequently led to the opening of the Norwegian Folk Museum, also called the Norwegian Folk Museum of Cultural History, around 1902. As the official description says, just Google Norwegian Folk Museum, it says it shows how people lived in Norway from 1500 to the present through its collections from around the country. The 160 buildings in the open-air museum represent different regions in Norway, different time periods, as well as differences between town and country and social classes. And the Gullstave Church dates from the 1200s and is one of five medieval buildings at the museum. I first visited the Folk Museum when I was four years old, and then again in 1979 and 91. It's hard to miss this major attraction if you're already on Big Doy to see the Fram Museum, the Kontiki Museum, and the Viking Ship Museum. I didn't really get it back then what open-air museums were all about and it really took my developing interest in stave churches and stabors to want to go back and see the Norwegian Folk Museum. Now, some 30 years later, I met Inger Jensen, who was then the director at the museum and was at the opening ceremonies in 2018 for Seattle's National Nordic Museum. The museum had invited officials from all the major Nordic museums, including this director and curator from the Norwegian Folk Museum. So when I was planning a visit to Oslo in 2019 with my wife, I managed to arrange an interview with Inger Jensen when we were going to visit the Folk Museum. 
Inger is now a head curator, course an ethnologist and a researcher, and the former department director. With her was another head curator and ethnologist, Siv Ringdahl. Both of these amazing women sat down with us to talk about the museum, their research, and why folk museums are relevant to us today. We sat down together and began talking with Ms. Ringdahl, who was telling us about her current research on how Norwegian ideas went with immigrants to America and how American ideas returned to Norway, cross-pollination between the two. So I've written both a PhD and three mm-hmm. books mm-hmm. about uh, Norwegians uh, uh, emigrating and re- returning to Norway, you know, their cultural contact, especially between the southern part and the southern coast of yeah. Norway and the east coast of America. So I have um, worked a lot with that, both uh, uh, about, uh, you know, people returning and how this contact with America affected uh, relations, building techniques, how they decorated their homes, recipes, stories, and the whole... Mm-hmm. Lifestyle and, and also about young women emigrating to uh, New York after Second World War and oh. how their meeting with America affected. Uh, they met different female ideals and 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 also. Um, so I've been working with that for many years and also now here at the museum. I started working here two years ago and now we are having this project in one of the houses here uh, from the western part of Norway, from Jæren. And uh, in that area you had a lot of young men going to um, places like Montana to uh, herd uh, sheep. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Right now, I'm uh, really in, involved in, in that kind of migration. So I've been working a lot with young women, and now it's more young men going over and living in these prairie wagons with uh, 3,000 sheep. <laughs> so uh, there are a lot of uh, different kind of relations. The plan was because we, we were continuously with developing the open air museum, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then this the house from this part of Norway. We we planned we would do make a new story in the house and, and changes. And when she yes. started digging into yes. the history of the house, then she found it. It was really easy. Yes, it was yeah. really easy yeah. because uh, and it was was really fun. Was that uh, you could just look into yeah. this house particular story because we were thinking that yeah we wanted mm-hmm. to do something regarding cultural contact, migration, and we, we got uh, so much material, <laughs> more than we would hope for, just uh, digging into this particular house story. So, so that was really fun. And a lot of other stories as well, of course, but, uh, but it's, um, it's really an interesting part of the history in this particular area. In Norway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, it sounds like you get to work in the area you studied. I mean, not everyone gets uh, gets some. No, no, that, uh, yeah. that, that, that that's really. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and also because uh, this uh, this has a really different uh, dimension. With the, you know the young men going over, they were just yeah. teenagers, and they in some parts of this uh, area almost half the you know young men they they emigrated, and the the girls they were back home and, and then maybe after some years they would come back and they would get married and they would have some money to invest in uh, you know the farm and uh, yeah that's what surprised me when I was talking with Knuts as, as so many came back to Norway 
you always hear yeah. about these huge yes. migrations yes. in you know, the eighteen hundreds and yeah. think, well, that was one way. Yeah, yeah. But no, many they came back. Uh, yeah. I guess it's, uh, you know um, Anders Wiese. He was a famous Norwegian photographer. Yeah. Around uh, mm -hmm. the early nineteen hundreds and late. 1890s. He, he started, worked as a land measurer when they were building the railroad across over to the western coast. Uh, and then he uh, stayed in Seattle and uh, of course uh, started taking photos and a lot of his pictures are in the Museum of Seattle. Yeah. And uh, but he also returned home and uh, started as a photographer in Norway and uh, became uh, a well-known photographer here, so so that's also one of those. Mm -hmm. That's one of those things. Who returned home? I think in some parts of Norway, especially when you had the mass migration from the late uh, 18th, uh, 19th century and up in the early 20th century, it was almost like um, in some areas they had so many uh, these huge networks mm -hmm. going uh, across the Atlantic. So it was really easy for them to go, they had uncles, they had family, and it was uh, um, like in some of the areas where I have been doing research, uh, many people say that it was more, uh, you know, t terrifying to go to Oslo, because they didn't know anyone there, but to, to go to New York, that was more safe, because they had so many <laughs> relatives, yes, so, uh, yeah. It's mm. amazing. So, say someone from the United States comes to visit the Folk Museum, what should they expect to see? What do you have to offer that uh, is unique that they can't see anywhere else? Well, there are many things. I think the most important is that if you, if you come to this museum, of course you can, uh, you can get an impression of what Norwegian culture is in one place. So you can spend at least a day here and walk through the various parts of the open-air museum and see, uh, meet people's everyday life. And of course, uh, whether there are rich people, wealthy people, or poor people, people from uh, just not only various parts of Norway, but also the various social layers and, and hmm. from various times. So it's also travel in time. You because you work to show all of this. Yes, and for the last 10-20 years we've done a lot of work redoing the Open Air Museum. Of course one thing is adding new attractions, new mm -hmm. stories from Norwegian history and daily life and also changing the stories we tell based on recent research. So, well, 20 years ago we put up an apartment building which we took down from the center of Oslo and all the apartments, various families moved in so you can go into an apartment showing uh, based on the screenplay of A Doll's House from Ibsen, so like you can uh, meet that, but you can also walk into uh, an apartment and meet Pakistani family living in Oslo in year 2000. Or you meet a family uh, from the 1960s, and outside you will see their uh, Volkswagen uh, parked, so they're probably on their way somewhere. We have the farm from Trøndelag, middle of Norway, where we also show the big changes in the uh, life on the farms where uh, most of the farming was mechanized and it changed both the women's uh, daily work and of course the, the farmers work. 
So, and, and what our visitors experience is that they, they find traces of their own history, their own life, and start telling the stories because they could say, well, this was like what we grew up with, or this was what grandma grandpa had. So that is part of it. But of course there are also attractions like the oldest part of the museum is actually the oldest open-air museum in the world, mm -hmm. which was a, a building collection which King Oscar II established. And uh, the main attraction there, of course, for foreigners are the state church, right. which was uh, moved and rebuilt here in the early 1880s. Is that gold? That's gold. Yes. Yeah. yes. So definitely contemporary history as well as older history. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so of course our collections they show from the early 1500s. Mm -hmm. The Reformation is a big turning point mm -hmm. in Norwegian history, when uh, we moved from uh, the ca Catholic Church to the Protestant Church, and uh, so so we have the responsibility for. Uh, the development from the 1500s and up to present. Yeah. So we also have uh, a large uh, collection of Norwegian church art, which is uh, and shows the early church art and the changes from uh, mm. the Reformation and uh, up till the early 1800s. That's, I look forward to seeing that. So I and I think that would be special as people come mm. to visit. Mm. Yeah. And of course, uh, well, the museum is now 125 years old, and uh, they started from the beginning. It was a vast uh, plan for the establishing the museum, and uh, uh, and from the beginning they started not only collecting houses and moving them to the open air museum here, but there are large collections of Norwegian folk art and uh, costumes showing uh, the variety, mm -hmm. because to many a Norwegian costume might look, well, they're all the same. Just one there way, are, right. There's <laughs> a, a lot of variation in it, and um, so, so that's also a major part of the collection. It, for some years we have been uh, redoing one of our, well, in fact, the oldest exhibition hall at the museum which uh, shows the urban culture and uh, upper classes culture and uh, one of the, well our main focus is to show how Norwegian culture has developed and is influenced by contact with other countries because there's always a question what is the Norwegian identity, what is Norwegian culture? Yes. It's never existed in a, uh, vacuum. It's it's in connection with other cultures, and and there are those that would probably want to keep it pure, right? Yes. But this exhibition uh, will uh, is going to open in June next yeah. year. So uh, we've just finished all the building works, and uh, all our curators and conservators they are busy preparing the new exhibition. I see. So that's going. We have about three thousand objects going into the exhibition. So it's a quite a large project. Yeah. Are you involved in that too? Uh, no, I, I, I'm one of the few uh, <laughs> that are not involved in it. Yeah. So a lot of my colleagues are, are really involved in that now. So it's a really, really exciting uh, project, I think. So, so I'm looking very much forward to. To uh, what the, the opening, yes, yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. 
So in terms of um, uh, acting the part, uh, I, I know on weekends you make lefsa, there's some that folk dancing, mm -hmm. right? Um, are there any other kinds of um, actions of what everyday life would have been like that people can see? Well, uh, all our museum hosts who are in the houses in the open air museum, of course, they're always dressed in uh, the oh. local costume from the area where the house is from, and uh, and the costume changes from whether you come in a weekday or you come on a Sunday, because on Sunday people would always change uh, their outfit and dress up for Sunday when work should rest, and. Um, uh, during the summer, we have a summer school for children, and they also participate in uh, really? making uh, the museum living. So they uh, they are here from Monday to Friday, and uh, uh, they're from uh, eight to twelve years old. And um, and of course, when they come on Monday, then they get a new identity, a new name, and you don't know whether you will be a poor. Uh, boy living on the little farm of the Finnish yeah. migrant population or you will live in Christy, a wealthy merchant's family. So, uh, so they're part of it and they go to the school and, uh, and then they have to work and they <laughs> eat the food pit. And <laughs> so, so that's also part of making uh, the museum uh, alive. Um, but uh, yeah, talk mm, about community mm. outreach. I mean, that's exactly mm. you keeping, you're engaging the the city. Mm -hmm. yeah. And of course, you you meet the animals on the farms or out in the field. Uh, we we also run the Royal Farm, which is uh, next oh, door to too. the museum. Mm. But uh, and that has made it improved the the facilities to have uh, also the old Norwegian breeds. So we have uh, uh, some cows, horse, uh, and uh, yeah, hens and Any pigs and so on. No yes, we have a few, oh, yes, right. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> and, and in Trondelag, uh, yeah. there you can see a lot of the animals, mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also uh, in the outdoor museum, yeah, as yeah. total, but uh, but it's uh, it's really nice for the kids mm -hmm. to go there. Mm -hmm. That's great. So how long does the kids program in the summer last? Several it's months? for the school vacation. Okay. Yes. So uh, and it's uh, it's so popular. So it's usually filled up uh, <laughs> just a couple of days after we say now they can apply for a week. So what what is the the school vacation time in the summer? Runs from when June? To uh, about midsummer, end of June till uh, about twentieth August. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. They're back. We've seen. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, one. Uh, well, one aspect or way of. Norwe the way of life in Norway is that uh, Norwegians are very fond of uh, being outdoors, walking in the mountains, in the forest mm -hmm. around Oslo. And uh, uh, when you compare to uh, the population in Norway, we have a lot of summer houses or second homes, yeah. cabins. And, uh, 
uh, we also have a big association where a lot of people are members. So you can walk in the mountains, in the forests, and you can just book in on in one oh, of the, the cabins and yeah. share mm. it, the DMT. So uh, a couple of years ago, we got one of their cabins. Oh, wow. So, um, and uh, members of DMT, they are volunteer here, and uh, they tell about nice. the story about wandering in the Norwegian mountains and forests, which became very popular from the mid 19th century uh, until the present. So that's also that's one neat. of the stories Very clever. we, we uh, work with. Yeah, I think you told me when we saw you at the, at the Nordic that mm -hmm. you have a Sami collection. Yes, we have a large Sami collection. And um, of course that's uh, an important part of mm -hmm. our collections. But uh, also, uh, in respect and obligation to the convention of uh, the, their uh, right to their own culture, yes. we, uh, we have uh, agreed with uh, the Sami museums that half of our collection uh, will be returned to the Sami museums. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that both the Sami museums and uh, not the least the Sami parliament uh, I find it very important that there will remain a Sami uh, collection at Norsk Folk Museum. So, uh, yeah. at the same time as we return the collection, we ha will go over and, uh, of course, we still have our exhibition, but we plan in the coming years to make a new exhibition. Yeah, and maybe you'll cycle things. Yes, yeah. and uh, it's been a very interesting project, uh, working with them. Yeah, on returning okay. the object, so of course it's part of the same you deal with in the U.S. returning to the Native Americans. Yes, yes. But, yeah, uh, lots of stories but, uh, around that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but what we agreed on is that we share the collection. So uh, because this is in many ways the largest Sami museum in Norway. Yes, and it's important for people to see that here, because they may never get up there, and that awareness, it seems, would be important, huh? But also, it's important to show the big variety and in the Sami culture, because you have the Sami population over a large part of Norway, not only far north, and there the Sami culture differs a lot from the inland Samis and to the coastal Samis. So uh, in May, the king uh, opened uh, a couple of houses. We moved from Finnmark to Oslo and uh, to both show the, what happened in Finnmark at the end of World War II and also rebuilding uh, that part of Norway. But that's also tracing the story of the house, the people who lived there, and of course it shows a family history where there were coastal Sami, there were Kvians, Kvianer, who migrated to yeah, Norway yeah. from Finland and and so on. So so we get to and and you have the Norwegian population as well. Yeah. So yeah. it makes it possible to speak of how Sami culture uh, changed and also how. The inland Samis uh, had uh, dealt 
with the, the coastal Samis and the Norwegian population and they exchanged goods so they would get meat from reindeer meat at the coast and they could get fish to the inland and yeah. sell the products and so on. So the, the coastal Samis didn't have reindeer, I assume, right? It's just most of the inland ones had rain? Yes, and, and of course the inland ones, they often migrated uh, or, uh, during summer to the coast oh, for I see. grass and so on. But the coastal Samis, they live more from fishing. Yeah, yeah. I just read a book, Sami Folktales and Legends by Emilia de Montat. It was translated, recently translated. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, it's, it's a look at Samis I had never ever seen. Very interesting. But I think that was more eastern, uh, maybe northern Sweden, Samis. Sculptor Samis, perhaps. Yeah, because yeah, there was a lot of, there was interaction with Russians and things of that nature. Yeah. Part of the Sculptor Samis lived in the Norwegian areas, but they, uh, most of them lived in, in Russia. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, we also have Sculptor Samis objects in our collection. Is there anything unique mm. about this stave church that compared to the others? There's only a handful of stave churches that are in good shape. Yes, now, there right? are, uh, I think, 32 or 38 stave churches which are preserved yeah. because as population grew in the 19th century, then uh, many of these churches became too small for the congregation and mm -hmm. a lot of them were also in bad shape. and. Uh, so most of them were, were torn down. Some were also private-owned. Uh, oh. hmm. But that's because the ownership to the churches that has changed during the centuries. So many were taken down, but that was also made many of the architects and historians and other people who saw that it's important to preserve them. So, uh, uh, so an association who worked on preserving our cultural heritage was established mm -hmm. and they did a lot of work to preserve them. And some were moved to museums and some are still in the original place. Right. But they vary quite a lot. You can say there are some similarities yeah. in the way you construct them, but you also have a lot of uh, local variations on the stock churches. And the one from Gul, which came here, was the original, was a much uh, simpler uh, layout. But uh, they were inspired by the more developed uh, staff churches such as Borgun and Heddal. And uh, so Gul staff church at Norsk Folk Museum was developed on. Parts of it are original I, I and date really long back, but of course they had to uh, uh, reconstruct parts of it and they also added um, some elements to the church. Yeah. So this is the Star Church of King Oscar II, we would say. <laughs> yeah. But of course it's interesting because people who come here they think that's the original, so right. Some years ago, they, they built a copy of the Stog Church at Gul. They copied ours, not, they didn't rebuild a copy of the original Gul Stog Church, because they wanted the... There was one that got burned down, right? Um, 
Yes, in the fauna, yes. The, oh, was it really the fauna one? Yeah. Yes, it the was tourists all go to in Bergen? Yeah. Yeah. As a protest or some, some yeah, crazy small, thing. Yeah, the uh, black metal, uh, yeah, some, some uh, extreme uh, mm -hmm. people in that uh, yeah. music <laughs> yeah. culture. But what's interesting amazing is that, that people now, you know, I mean, you have tradespeople and craftspeople who understand how to put together a state church mm -hmm. because you've studied them and built, rebuilt and re renovated them, mm -hmm. right? It isn't a lost art. For example, no, uh, and especially now there's uh, been, of course, uh, we're doing a lot of research on um, learning how the churches were built, how the wood carving was done, and also when it comes to the preservation of the Viking ships, yes, and uh, and the burial founds in the from the ships, they they've done a lot of. Uh, reconstruction and uh, copying and taking up the wood carving mm -hmm. traditions again. Yeah. And uh, just on doing research on the tar you make for preserving the church. The tar, it's, yeah. Uh, yes, it's, mm. uh, it needs yeah. a lot of research and we learn all the time. So, um, so the owners of the stop churches, they, they work together to uh, improve knowledge on it and of course also the museums and uh, our building department here they uh, mm. do a lot of research on it and also uh, do training with the carpenters and woodcutters and so to to learn all the processes so we had a large restoration project on the stop church a couple of years ago and uh, which also the visitors can follow yeah changed all the wooden tiles on the roof and <laughs> yeah. So I would expect you're affiliated then with university, right? I mean you ought to be. You, you're, I mean it's it is it's cultural research that I don't know it sounds as academic as it could be. Do you have any Yes, yeah, so yes, we have connections with the, some of the uh, some parts of the University of Oslo, mm -hmm. but also with the University in uh, Trondheim and uh, other yeah, universities and colleges who train yeah. students in the various uh, disciplines. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I know this fellow who did his PhD up in, in Trondheim and ended up doing archaeology on, on Nidaros. Mm. And how they made the mortar and how they put the stones together and so it just blended from his studies into a position that he gets to keep doing that. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yes, and we also have a department who, uh, who uh, focus on, uh, well, of course, mostly collecting uh, the oral history and also people can write down parts of their life history or other experiences, so, which we now share on the web. So, so you can go in, you can establish your own site and uh, mm. write down your stories. You can decide the topics yourself or you could go into questionnaires we, we make mm. and uh, follow up. So so I haven't looked at, is you, do you have a pretty good digital presence online? I mean, say someone can't travel to Norway, could mm. they learn a f somewhat from, from looking at your website? Follow and... Uh, of course, the problem for our website is that most of it is in Norwegian. It's uh, 
it's not, they're only the main uh, information yeah. is translated to yeah. English, French, and so on. But uh, but of course that's also a question of resources. But uh, mm -hmm. most of our collections are digitalized. So yeah. uh, and. Uh, and we, we've established a network with other Norwegian cultural history museums so you can seek into their, their collections right. on the digital museum and, now and, uh, hmm. and also many Swedish museums use the same system. And then you can get access both to objects, to photos and other stuff. And, uh, but it's not always so easy to find um, people's names yes. seek through the personal history, but that's because of, we have rather strict legislation on uh, what we share of uh, personal information. I see. But, I see. Uh, but if people want to seek up, they can just email us and ask if we have information, and then we can oh. see, seek on the names if we have. But. Uh, Oh, you may hear from me. That's oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I use the digital archives for genealogy yeah. and stuff, and that's very helpful. Mm. Um, church records and mm. stuff like that. Oh, that's great. But I, you hear me interested in Stave Church a lot, and my, my last name is Stolf, and, it, it, <laughs> and I pretend it has something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So there's some online, but... Uh, it'd be best to visit in person. And you have, and I, I think we were talking about this, you have a little bits of Norway all around together in the open air museum, right? Yes. It's like you're walking around the country. Yeah, yeah so uh, what was really an uh, important addition was that we got house, managed to get a house from northern Norway here because mm. of the distance that was a part we lacked and also it tells about the rebuilding of northern Norway after World War II which was a really big effort because the whole of fin most of Finnmark was burnt mm. by the Germans so oh I didn't realize that so and the, the population mm. were forced to evacuate to southern Norway Yes, well, you say you don't know, uh, didn't know. And I, apolo I apologize. Didn't. I <laughs> no, most Norwegians don't know. So it's a story untold, and it tells about who focuses much of the history. It's from the central part. So uh, it's uh, we've had uh, lots of positive feedback on the project and. Well, people really say, well, I didn't know. This was new to me. Well, I, I think it's excellent that you cover uncomfortable subjects, too. I mean, like, in our country, how we treated the Indians or Native Americans, and that we have finally agreed, in, at least in some parts of the country, <laughs> to, to show that and talk about it, um, because it's, a, it's so rich, you know, to find out and learn about it. Um, so that's that's a neat aspect of what you do. Great. Anything you would you think I need to know that I could, so I can write about you, folks, uh, um, to round it out. Mm. You feel like I have to know. I think Inger has this, said it really well. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else we should. Uh, uh, I was just thinking about, you know, uh, covering the, the
the more difficult parts of history. And, yeah. and in this uh, jubilee year we have now, uh, uh, there have been a lot of different uh, happenings. And this fall uh, there will be a happening called uh, Almost Everything Was worse back in the old days <laughs> because a lot of people when they come here they look at you know the houses and everything and they so say romantic, oh it was so yes. cozy <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so this will be more like a weekend uh, where uh, uh, we will tell the story about you know disease death you know all the difficult things and <laughs> dirt uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah that's just a uh, yeah yeah that's that's great yeah Yes, and of course that's uh, <laughs> often a thing which is uh, difficult mm -hmm. to uh, to give people an impression of the hard parts yes. of life, mm -hmm. because an open air museum, the old houses, very easy, it seems romantic. You don't feel the cold, you don't get the smell, mm -hmm. uh, you don't get the hunger. But of course, life was. Both hard, but it was also good, and uh, right. that's mm. showing uh, and started discussing with our visitors the the differences. Yes, and, mm. uh, that makes me think of uh, what you see in movies, for example, and and what what it was in real life. And sometimes British films are try harder to make. I mean, some of their scenes are dirty and grimy and smoky mm. and dark. Um, and that's what it was like, in mm -hmm. or more what it was like in the castle. So they have to have enough of light to shoot the movie. But <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think that realism, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything that comes to mind from you that you think mm -hmm. you'd like to ask? This was directed to my wife, Dana, who was sitting with us during the interview. It's an awful lot of history. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it covers the general parts. I think as time goes on, you realize more things that you didn't know, and so that gives you something else to research, mm -hmm. like you are. So. Yeah, and of course a challenge for a museum with uh, collections uh, built f up for uh, more than 100 years. Uh, it's uh, having collections which uh, speak to people today. Yeah. Do they matter to me? Mm. Of course, because it's not just showing a somewhat distant past, which could be very remote from people. It's also asking the questions which uh, mean something to us today and then make the connections and uh, also having it. So the museum changes all the time. A museum is not a frozen place where we have frozen time and say that's the way it was at that place at that time. But asking new questions, doing research all the time. So. It will always be something new, something we've changed at the museum, which I think is important. Yes, and reason to visit again and again, right? Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you can use some of it. What a great place for school children and adults to learn about how life was and is all around Norway, since they have parts of Norway all collected in one place. Check out the museum online. Just search for the Norwegian Folk Museum. By the way, there's lots of other open-air or living history museums around the world, and surely there's one near you. They're fantastic to visit. 
Quite a few I know of in the United States and Canada. Many are farms or military forts, seaports. There's some living transportation museums, say with steam trains that you can ride on. There's reenactments, there's Viking encampments, there's Renaissance fairs, the list goes on. Civil War reenactments. In the Seattle area, my favorite east of Seattle is Camlin Medieval Village. Well, that winds up this Folk Museum podcast. Special thanks, of course, to Inger Jensen and Siv Ringdahl, who were gracious enough to let me interview them. You can listen to us on any podcasting service, but our home is on nordicontap.podbean.com. Please do write to us at nordicontap, all one word, at gmail.com with comments, suggestions, and ideas. Our opening theme is The New March, played by Alfred Morton Heurup and Ruthie Dornfeld. Our outgoing theme, which you're hearing now under my words, was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson. Please see our other podcasts on Alfred Morton Heurup and Daryl Jackson. I'm Eric Stavney saying, Till neste gong, viseas. Until next time, we'll be seeing you on Nordic on Tap.